Well, good morning. And April Fools, <laughs> we got you. We got you. You guys thought Bill was preaching this morning, right? Right? Oh, we got you guys good. You should see. You should see the look on your faces. It's it's pretty. Uh, no, really, you should see the look on your faces. Uh, Dale, it's not good. It's not good. Did anybody see the uh, switcheroo that Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel had on Friday night? Did anybody see that? Where they switch shows? Incredible, incredible. It was pretty, pretty funny. But, um, you know, I'm kicking off our Easter message this morning from chaos to victory. And hopefully me being up here is not too much of the former for you, and I hope it isn't. But that's just how life is, isn't it? You know, life is volatile, it's unpredictable, it's chaotic. And uh, we've all experienced chaos in the past. We're probably experiencing chaos right now, and I bet, I pretty much guarantee we're going to be seeing some chaos here in the future. And it's okay, we can kind of deal with that small stuff, right? But unfortunately, life's chaos often involves darker, challenging, and more painful experiences that we just can't shake off as the small stuff. And let's not sugarcoat what we experience. I mean, we're talking about some pretty serious chaos here, aren't we? I mean, in our lives, we're dealing with our sin and the sin of others. We're dealing with lying and cheating and backstabbing and sexual immorality and, you know, just um, various types of abuse. And in society, in society, you know, the chaos explodes in the form of hatred against each other. You know, uh, religious and racial intolerance. Uh, cyberbullying, welfare, poverty. And then in the world at large, I mean, it's even worse, right? We have the war in Ukraine, the threat of nuclear destruction, terrorism, and things like human trafficking, which is just sick. And that evokes some nagging questions, doesn't it? God, really, are you at work behind all of this? If, if he is, does, why does he allow so much evil and chaos in the world? And is this really part of God's plan? Why, why can't I see all the goodness, God? And so our everyday experiences seem to sort of conflict with the scriptural basis for the message of this series, which comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says this, We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They are the ones chosen to be a part of his plan. And so my goal for you this morning is to convince you that God is working for your good amidst the chaos whether you see it or feel it or not, he is there. And so to begin, I first want to start with uh, sort of God's side of the equation. Um, so they're all at sort of the same jumping off point for the message series, okay? So point number one, point number one is this, God has a plan. God has a plan. Now what is that plan? Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. Now, now I know how he works it out is extremely complex and insane level of detail. But let's get, on, let's get one thing straight. God does have a plan, and it's pretty simple. God's plan is to have a relationship with you. That's it. That's it. God is in love with you, and he wants you to be in love with him. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7 says this, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. And you know, it's not rocket science. I'll, I'll give you the Chris Molnar paraphrase version. Hopefully, I won't be struck by lightning. But here's, here's how I see it. You know, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Three persons in one God. They're in a loving relationship with each other since eternity passed. 
And they kind of look at each other and say, you know, this is pretty awesome, right? This is pretty cool. What, what if we go ahead and duplicate this love relationship thing with, oh, I don't know, say a few 10 billion people? And that, that was it. That, that kicked off the plan. That set God's plan into motion. And so the entire creation of this universe, the world we live in, everything we see, even us, it's all for one purpose, to love mankind, to love mankind. Psalm 138, verse 26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. To put it in a nutshell, what is God's master plan? For the two of you to be in love forever. That's his plan. Boop. Let's go ahead and put a pin in that. Okay, hold on to that. God's plan for to be in love with you forever. Okay, so point number two. God is in control. God is in control. He is in complete control. It's called divine providence, right? Complete control, utter control. There are three characteristics of God that make this so. And, and you guys know what these are. The first one is God is omniscient. He's omniscient. That means God knows everything. He knows the end before it even have a beginning. He knows everything about you. He made you, and he knows everything you're going to do before time even began, okay? And there's no surprising God, by the way. <clears throat> God doesn't need to react to anything you're doing, okay? God, you know, there aren't, you're not going to catch him off guard. He doesn't come to me and say, Chris, you know, uh, gee, I didn't see that one coming, you know? God is omniscient. He knows everything. And number two, God is supremely omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. He can do anything. Or to kind of converse on that is nothing happens, nothing happens that God doesn't intend to happen. Okay? God doesn't need a plan B because his plan A is flawless. It's perfect. Ezekiel 24, 14 says, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it. And then number three, God is immutable. You might not know that word. God is immutable, meaning God doesn't change. God doesn't change. And thank goodness for that, right? Okay? God doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. He's the same yesterday today and tomorrow. Is, and I love what um, he told Moses in Exodus. Remember Moses asked him, well, who do I tell you, or who do I tell the Israelites sent me? And what did God say? I am that I am. Right? God doesn't change his mind. Malachi 3.6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. So all of that is to say that God is in control. All right? Boop. Go ahead, put a pin in that. God is in control. God is in control, and he's got a plan, and that's to be in love with you forever. So what are we talking about here again? Uh, oh, okay. I, I, think, I think I see the problem now. The problem is this. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Enter the chaos. God chose us, but in order for it to be a true love relationship, we have to choose God too. And choice brought sin into the world. And we've been experiencing the chaos ever since. That's it. We are living it. And herein lies the tension. This is the struggle. This is our challenge. God is in complete control, and we have a choice to make. And somehow, some way, these two things 
must reconcile. And the infinite complexity of how God can work out his plan through our choices, well, that's, I mean, that's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I understand that. But, but if it helps, let me tell you how I think about it. I think about it like this. God's plan is like a giant jigsaw puzzle, basically the size of the universe, okay? And there are like a bajillion tiny pieces, each individually unique, and that's us. And we, we get to choose the shape and the size of our piece, okay? But through his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his immutability, God designed a plan that maximizes his plan, that maximizes his love and his goodness for all mankind while still allowing for our choices. But here's the problem. Because we aren't God, we can only see kind of the small amount of pieces around us, right? We, we can't see the big picture. We don't see the whole thing. And that puzzle piece around us, it's, it's changing, it's moving, it's unexpected and unpredictable, and often it doesn't make any sense. What we see appears to us as chaos. But we know, we know that God's in control. We know that he has a plan. But our experiences sometimes tell us otherwise, doesn't it? And that's, that's a challenge for us. That's the question for you this morning. Which of those two truths is sort of got the, got the, got the lead in your, in your mind right now? Now, I told you at the beginning, our text for this message series is Romans 8.28. It says, we know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They're the ones chosen to be a part of his plan. But you know what? It's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? And so we ask the question, God, why can't I see you working amidst the chaos? Why can't I see you working amidst the chaos? Now, I promise you, God is working. And I believe that the Bible gives us some excellent insight into why you may not see him working good in your life right now. So let me share a few of these ideas with you from Scripture this morning to help answer that question. And the first answer is, God is preparing the plan. God is preparing the plan. You know, if there's two things that my daughters love, it's watching these sappy princess movies, right? Okay? I mean, I can't tell you how many of these princess movies I've had to endure, I mean, watch over these many, many years. I mean, hundreds, it seems like. And no kidding, I was preparing for this message this week, and I went downstairs to get, a, get some to drink, and they're watching another one. Like, it doesn't end, okay? But I gotta admit, <clears throat> I gotta admit, I do, <clears throat> I do love the book of Esther. You know, the Bible's full of stories that are great for cinema, but, you know, Esther, the book of Esther, that, that really has it all. And I, I believe that Disney owns Esther a bunch, a bunch of royalty checks, personally, okay? But here, her story starts a generation after the Israelites have been totally destroyed by, by the Babylonians, and their people have been taken off into captivity. And so the environment that the, she's in is a chaotic one. The Israelites are trying to rebuild their shattered lives uh, in a foreign land after the invasion. And so we meet uh, Queen, uh, Esther. And Esther's a Jewish, young Jewish girl, and she's in the Persian city of Susa, and we learn that she's trying to rebuild her life just like everyone else. But we also learn that her parents have passed away, and so she's basically been orphaned. And at this point in time, she's being taken care of by her older cousin, whose name was Mordecai. And here's where it gets interesting. Esther somehow catches the eye of the king of Persia, and she becomes the queen over a great empire. 
Queen Esther. <clears throat> and at the same time, an evil advisor, right? This is a typical Disney plot. An evil advisor named Haman, right? He conceives of a plot to exterminate literally all the Jews, all because he hates one Jewish man. And you guessed it. His name's Mordecai. And here's where the plot thickens and things get really intriguing because Haman does not know <clears throat> that Queen Esther is a Jew. Haman does not know that Queen Esther is Mordecai's cousin. And Haman does not know that Mordecai has discovered his plan of extermination. And Haman chooses to become a, a human catalyst of chaos. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, that The Dark Knight, the Batman movie, one of the older ones where Heath Ledger plays the Joker. Hopefully some of you know that movie. It's really, really good. But in that movie, at the, near the end, there's a scene where the Joker is in the, in the hospital with Two-Face, right? And he's got this quote, and I love this quote. It says, introduce a little anarchy, upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. And that's Haman. Haman emerges as an agent of chaos. And think about who Haman is impacting. All the exiles, all the Jewish exiles living in Persia, including Queen Esther and Mordecai, all their world, their entire world, has been completely undone. It's completely turned upside down. Now, do you think that any of them see God as having a plan in all this? I mean, they're the chosen people of God, right? They're supposed to be special. They're supposed to be protected. And here they are, for a generation of their lives have been completely turned upside down. And now this. The Persians are set on genocide. And you got to imagine they're thinking, God has absolutely just forsaken us, right? God's absolutely forsaken us. And now we come to the crucial moment in the story. In Esther chapter 4, okay, in verses 13 and 14, Mordecai sends this message to Queen Esther after he's discovered the plot of Haman. He says this, you live in the king's palace, but don't think that just because you are there, you'll be the only Jew who will escape. What if you don't say anything at this time? Then help for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your family will die. Who knows? It's possible that you became a queen for a time just like this. Now, do you understand what just happened here? All the pieces of the puzzle just came together in an instant for Mordecai. Now he suddenly sees God's plan. It all makes sense. God has been arranging the puzzle pieces over the course of an entire generation behind the scenes to prepare for the exact moment, the exact moment when Mordecai and Esther would be placed in just the right position to bring salvation to their people. One day chaos, the next day God's plan is crystal clear. And that's the lesson for us today. Sometimes when you ask the question, God, why can't I see you working amidst the chaos? The answer is because he's preparing the plan for you. He's preparing the plan for you. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, two things. First, you must know his word. You must study his word. You must know his word inside and out until you have the perception and the insight of Mordecai. So that when God's plan is finally revealed... It's crystal clear to you. And the second thing you need to do is you need to play your part. Notice what Mordecai told Esther when she was waffling a bit. He said, you know, if something is God's plan, 
it's going to happen with or without you. Right? God is in control, and the train is leaving the station. Right? And my recommendation to all of us is we better get on board that train. All right? But that's not the only reason why God's plan might not be in your view right now. You know, sometimes, as with Esther, he's preparing the plan around you, but other times, God is preparing you. At other times, God is preparing you. You know, the life of Joseph may be, may be one of the single most impressive case studies of faith and leadership and discernment and humility and determination that the world has ever seen. And yes, it is really that good, okay? It is really that good. And hopefully most of you are familiar with the story of Joseph because we don't have time to kind of delve into the details right now. But I do encourage you this week, okay, go read Genesis chapters 37 through 50. The story really is that good. But imagine yourself at the age of 17. You're the apple of your father's eye. You're beloved and you're in a very close-knit and uh, well-to-do family. You kind of have it made in the shade. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, your jealous brothers decide that they're going to you know, fake your death. I mean, they actually are going to murder you, but then at the last minute they change their mind, saying, no, no, instead of murdering him, we're just going to send him off into slavery. <clears throat> and then after being enslaved in a far-off country for about a decade, you're then thrown into prison on trumped-up charges that, that aren't, aren't accurate, and you languish there for years with no hope of getting out. Now, does that sound like a life besieged by chaos to you? does. However, in this exact moment of Joseph's life, it kind of becomes a huge inflection point. You see, at the age of 30, God reveals his plan to Joseph. On this day, Joseph is unexpectedly taken out of prison, cleaned up, and taken for the Pharaoh of Egypt. And on this day, Joseph becomes the second in command of all of Egypt and literally, literally executes a strategic plan to enrich the kingdom of Egypt as they've never seen it before. Okay, he helped save the entire Middle East from a massive, like, 14-year famine, all right? And he provides the environment for his family to come to Egypt and be safe. And there, they grow into the nation of Israel over the next several hundred years. But the day before he got caught out of prison, Joseph, he didn't know anything. And you've got to believe that Joseph had some serious questions. Where's God in all of this? Is this really the way my life is supposed to happen for me? What have I done to deserve all this? And I'm sure he's asking himself that question. God, why can't I see you working amidst the chaos? I mean, what was God doing after all, during all that time? Well, go back and look at those 15 years in slavery and in prison. In both circumstances, Joseph is put in charge of the administration of his environment. Okay, first in the very large household of Potiphar, and then he's put in charge of the entire prison. And he thrives. He thrives. You know, God was using his awful circumstances to train Joseph in the gifts of administration and leadership and discernment. And in those 15 years of slavery in prison, I don't think Joseph had a clue that God intended to use him to run an empire for the final 80 years of his life. I don't think Joseph saw that coming. You see, God was working behind the scenes for 15 years to develop Joseph into the leader that God needed him to be for his people. And so amongst the chaos and the turmoil of his circumstances, God prepared Joseph for what lay ahead. 
And if you can't see the goodness in God's plan right now, it may be, it just may be, because he is first preparing you for what lies ahead. Meditate on these words of Joseph to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 19, he said this, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many, many lives. The takeaway for you this morning is this. Lean into your circumstances. Lean into your circumstances. Use the chaos to build up your character. Take the wisdom that you've been learning from the word and put it into practice in your life and work. Work hard at becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be. And then patiently wait for when he decides that it's your time to go. And that's the difference. That's the difference. With Esther, God was placing the puzzle pieces around her to build his plan. And with Joseph, God was molding and shaping his piece to fit into that Joseph-sized hole in the puzzle. Okay? Now, unfortunately, there's still one more possibility of why you may not be seeing God working amidst the chaos, and it's not a good one. It's not a good one. It's also entirely possible that you can't see God working for your good because you're choosing not to. You're choosing not to. You know, this last point was pretty challenging for me. As I was studying and preparing, I was looking at quite a number of, you know, biblical characters, uh, Samson and Jonah, you know, King Saul, Solomon, and even the rich young ruler that approached Jesus. You know, and as I was studying through these, uh, somewhat Jonah, but certainly King Saul really, really got me emotional because, you know, I was looking at, I was looking at their, their lives and their stories and their choices. But no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I try, there's one, there's one man that I just don't understand, and that's Judas Iscariot. I mean, he was clearly a passionate man. You know, he seemed to be very zealous for, well, at least what he thought God's plan was going to be. And Judas was one of the 12 closest people to Jesus. I mean, he had a front row seat. He was in the inner circle, right? Uh, he saw this, the miracles the healings. He heard the words of Jesus speak. Jesus was one of the 11 closest guys who had the most insight and knowledge to God's plan because Jesus told him the plan. He told him exactly where their role, the disciples' role, was going to be in the plan. And I just, I just don't get it. But don't get confused. Don't get confused about God's plan for Judas. It was the same as it was, as it is, for you and for me, for the two of them to be in love forever. But Judas had a choice, and he chose chaos. And I really, truly, truly wish I knew why, but I don't. I just can't understand it. So all I can say to you is this. If you're struggling to see God's plan for your life, or you're having a real hard time believing that God is working behind the scenes for your good, then please dig deep. I mean, big, really dig deep in your heart and your soul and make sure you aren't missing God's plan because you're choosing to. And if you discover that maybe you are, please, please reach out to us. Reach out to me. 
Reach out to the other elders. Reach out to Bill. Reach out to the staff. Reach out to a ministry leader. Reach out to even just a friend here who you know is faithful to the Lord. We may not fully understand what you're going through, but I promise you we will walk through, walk, walk alongside you every step of the way to help you get on that path towards Jesus. But let there be no doubt in your mind whatsoever that all of us play a vitally important role in making God's plan come to fruition, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. You know, it reminds me of uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You know, the faith chapter, the hall of faith chapter. It's the one where the writer talks about all of the great biblical giants of faith, like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Rahab and Joseph. But did you notice what, what the writer says at the end of that chapter? In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, it says this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. You know, the Bible tells us that even those giants of faith in the Old Testament, even they didn't fully understand or comprehend what God's plan was. But they trusted him anyway. They trusted him anyway. They believed that even if they couldn't see him, even if they couldn't feel it, that God was working for their good and ultimately for ours. Let me close with this story. 25 years ago, this July, a young Chris Molnar was starting his career. And I drove to work that Monday morning nice and early because I wanted to be there for my first day of work out of college. And so I arrived there and I was really early. And so I, I was sitting in my car in the driver's seat and I, my materials with me and I had a catalog of, of, of our company. So I opened up and I started flipping through it like somehow I'd be able to, you know, kind of bone up on before I, I started my first day. And, was, and I got startled. There was a knock on my window on the, on the car door. So I rolled, this is the old days, guys. So I rolled down my window. And this guy goes, are, are you Chris? Are you, are you the new guy? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm the new guy. Come on with me. All right. So we walk, up, we walk upstairs. And that was my first introduction to Greg. And so Greg took me up, got me all settled. And he proceeded to, to work with me in my first week. And for the next three years, literally, I was at Greg's desk like just about every day. I mean, I wanted, you know, I had to learn everything about how to deal with customers and work on the equipment and, and, and do troubleshooting and just a whole bunch of stuff to be somewhat of a good engineer, which I'm not. But anyway, Greg was, and he helped me. And he was only about seven or eight years older than I was, but he was kind of the, the, guy, the go-to guy. So I, I was, you know, following Greg and learning from him for many, many years. And then uh, another gentleman came on board. His name was Dave, and Dave's a really good friend of mine. I work, and so we were working together for, oh, the next, you know, 15, 20 years together, um, and really, really working hard, and, 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 and Dave was a, a fellow Christian of mine, and, and we knew that Greg kind of, we weren't sure where he stood, so, you know, as we would, I would engage with uh, Greg every day, and oftentimes I'd go and, and visit him uh, at his cubicle once we started working less together, and our conversations got less and less about work and more and more about life, right, and just talking about things, and, uh, you know, just try to be the, 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 the good Christian witness that I could be without beating him over the head with the Bible. And I remember about three years ago, Dave, the other guy, finally got married, which was pretty exciting. And so he invited us to the wedding. Kim and I went, and we happened to sit next to Greg and his wife, Gina. And I was sitting next to Gina, and I got to talk to her for a long time and really enjoy the conversation. I got to find out that she's just a wonderful Christian woman leading her family, you know, being that, the, the, the kind of the spiritual leader that, that Greg wasn't. And at one point, he got up to, um, to get some rigatoni, uh, you know, good, uh, good Pittsburgh wedding reception. 
So we went to get some rigatoni, and we were talking, and she said, you know, uh, Chris, I, I remember that one time, and I'd forgotten about this, actually. I was walking down the, down the hall, and Len grabbed me. Chris, come here for a second. He's like, my wife just called. Did she hear you preaching on the radio? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. Do you remember the radio program we used to have? I didn't realize they'd put my message online, and his wife had been listening and heard it. And so, you know, we just say that connection. And then as a conversation went a little bit, she goes, you know, I just want to let you know, you know, just people like you and Dave and other Christians at work know this is not about me. I just, I just want to tell you I appreciate the impact you have on, on Greg. You know, just being there and being a good influence on him, you know, his life. And it meant, it meant the world to me. It really did. And then two years ago, COVID hit. And my job changed. I wasn't really working with Greg and Dave anymore. And then a lot of the blue Dave uh, called me and said, hey, Chris, just want to let you know. Just want to let you know that Greg has cancer. And it's pretty bad. So I, I called Greg up. And I'm like, hey, Greg, let's see what's going on. And, and he proceeded to explain that he'd, he'd been losing weight, not feeling well for a while now. And he, he's a typical guy. He didn't go to the doctor. And now he went, and it's pretty serious. And, and Greg was, you know, he was really scared. I could hear it. And, and I was pretty emotional. And so I just told him, I said, look, I'm, I love you, man. I'm, and I'm praying for you. You know I'm praying for you. Um, and there's folks here that have been praying for him as well. And I didn't get a chance to really talk a lot to Greg over the last, last couple of years because he's been, you know, kind of in and out of work, uh, been, um, you know, struggling with his recovery and uh, surgery and everything. And finally, about two weeks ago, Dave emailed me. He said, Chris, I just want to let you know that they've moved Greg to hospice care. He doesn't have much longer. And then at the end of the email, I had probably the most wonderful, awesome line I've ever read in my life in an email. And here's it. I'm going to quote it for you. It said, Greg has accepted Christ as a savior thanks to his wife, Gina. Just thought you'd want to know. Greg passed away on Wednesday. And I texted Dave and I said, you know what? Here's the good thing. I get to see him someday in heaven. Romans 8, 28, we know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They're the ones chosen to be a part of his plan. We don't always see God at work. We don't always understand his plan. It certainly sometimes doesn't look good, and I know it doesn't make sense. But just trust the knowledge that God is putting the pieces in place to maximize the goodness and the love for all mankind and for you. And it's your job to follow God's direction when you see it, to trust him when you don't. And please don't ever, ever ignore or reject his purpose for your life. Victory is ours because God makes it so. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so amazed at your love and your goodness. And Father, we, we realize that, you know, we're in this chaotic, crazy world that, that our sin choices have made, and, and it's, it's not easy sometimes. But Father, I just pray for everyone here, everyone online, to just know that you are in control, and that you love us, and you care for us, and you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And even though we don't understand it all the time, even though we, we, we get really just consumed with the chaos of life, Lord, we know that you are the rock that you are there for us to be firm on. And we can trust you to love us and to carry us through 
And to know that even sometimes when it doesn't look like good or we don't understand it, that you've only got the best for us at heart. God, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.